This is Second Down on ESPN Radio. Christian Gokel, glad to have you hanging out with us here on this Thursday afternoon. Have a ton to dive into. The Jaguars, are they going to have a head coach? Or is it looking like it's going to be the head coach? But maybe not the one everybody's dreaming about. That would be the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars reality. Uh, and that would just be another step into the future for Jacksonville Jaguars fans that they're very used to. So we got a lot to dive into on the show today. But up first, I'm really excited uh, to get a chance to talk to this guy. Big fan of a lot of things he does. And I want to give his bona fides, give his resume here, because super impressive. If you're a college football fan, you should absolutely be uh, consuming everything he puts out. Uh, host of the Shutdown, full cast, full cast After Dark over on Metal Arc Media uh, with Dan Levitard and that crew. Uh, channel-6.ghost.io. You can catch uh, all of his pieces out there, which uh, if you're, I don't want to say a hater of Jimmy Garoppolo, but... Uh, if you consume Jimmy Garoppolo stuff, you should check out his latest piece there. And then, of course, host of Thinking Out Loud, uh, 7 p.m. on Monday nights on the SEC Network, Spencer Hall, joining us here on ESPN Radio. Spencer, thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, and really been excited to get a chance to talk to you because, obviously, college football ending about two weeks ago now, but I don't feel like just because in the way the news cycle works now, everything is immediate and we have to move on to the next thing. I don't know that at least here, we've taken really the time to appreciate everything we saw this past season. Obviously, as a Georgia sports channel, we were just completely wrapped up in the Georgia season, getting beat by Alabama in the SEC Championship, overcoming that in the National Championship. But going back to really, we didn't know if we were going to have full stadiums at the beginning, uh, to seeing Virginia Tech, North Carolina, and the way that thing was packed out, NIL deals, uh, just the way the sport changed in front of our eyes, going back even to SEC media days. Uh, is this obviously the craziest season you've ever covered in the sport? It's not the craziest. The craziest is still 2007. On field for and, sure, yeah. Yeah, two, two thousand. nothing will top 2007 until something does. This was not quite that season. This is a, like notable for a couple of things. One, uh, Georgia won a national title. I think that Georgia fans really should remind everyone of this because, one, the current rate I have for Georgia national titles is one every 40 years. <laughs> So I would remind everybody of it immediately because, you know, who knows? That might be, that might be your, your schedule, Georgia fans. Um, I don't think that's true given how much talent Kirby Smart's managed to stockpile. In Athens, I think that they did what a lot of big programs do, which is you eventually slam a program full of so much talent and good coaching that you can't fail. And they did something I think that was really unusual that we don't talk about enough, which is they won with defense. I know. Stetson Bennett, he's underrated. I think we can just even say that now. He's underrated, and that offense has skilled people who are four- and five-star across the board. But that defense was the backbone of the team. That's something we haven't seen in a really, really long time. I think the other big storyline is this, that talent will become more and more mobile, and that talent will move from place to place with a frequency that we really, I, I don't think we're ready to handle it. I don't think we're ready to deal with what the transfer portal is going to do to Recruiting, building rosters, chemistry, the way that we deal with labor in the sport. Uh, I, I think the portal and I think that you know, recruiting had already pushed this, NIL pushed it a step further. I think that and the portal are going to really alter the dynamics between schools and talent, period. So a lot of weird things happened this year. That's just scratching the surface. I think the one person on earth who's uh, prepared to handle is Nick Saban. I think he's already... Uh, kind of showing that. But going back to Georgia, because you mentioned it there, do you think the storyline we remember five years from now is Stetson Bennett, or do you think maybe that's just the immediacy after 
the national championship and the semifinals performance he put on, do you think five years from now we really just remember how truly dominant that defense was and just filled with mutants that we'll be watching on Sundays? I generally think the wrong story ends up being the one that's remembered, and the wrong story would be remembering that this was, you know, Stetson Bennett's team. No, no, not at all. The the defense is the backbone of this team. And if you wanted to extend it, you could say the defense plus the Georgia offensive line. That's really who defined this team. That's who made them. That's what made them so good consistently came in and game out, with the exception of the SEC championship game, which, by the way, I, I don't want anybody to really flag on Georgia for that because Alabama won national titles all the time without winning the SEC, oh, yeah. right? This, to me, this is the mark of a great program in the SEC. We don't even need the championship game. You can take it. We'll lose one, and we'll still make the playoffs and win. So I think most people will remember it. You know, casuals, I think, will say, yeah, this is the Stetson Bennett team. But in reality, this is the Lewis team, the Kobe Dean, um, Jordan Davis team. And I know you cover this sport from a lot of different angles. Obviously, you do the show uh, every Monday night with Richard Johnson there on the SEC Network, Thinking Out Loud. But you cover the sport overarchingly uh, on a couple of different podcasts. Uh, one of my favorites in general is just the shutdown full cast. And I, I love the way you guys approach the sport because it is the weirdest sport. But I think it's spread throughout the country so much now that I think clearly it's a top four sport in America. And it might be top two just behind the NFL, what is it about college football that you see a change in the stars at least every four years? Now it's three years. What is it about college football that has just spread through America and has made it as popular as it is? I think it's local, and it's one of the last regional things. I do not like anything that makes this sport a national sport because national sports are made by definition for no one. I like a sport that, you know, like the SEC or the Big Ten, those are regional things that's where you know beating minnesota still matters if you are iowa um, that's where you know beating auburn or Auburn beating georgia that still matters no matter what the records are because uh, you know you go to the game to see people you show up to see the same stuff every year you show up to you know you show up for an experience not necessarily for you know a matchup between two different teams with records that matter. Um, that's not to say the records don't matter. There's a lot of firings and a lot of salary in the SEC that gets bet on exactly that assumption that it does matter. But I think that's the thing that makes it so appealing year in and year out, even though we don't see a lot of variance. This is not a sport where you get a whole lot of new at the top. Right. Alabama's probably going to be in the top five. Ohio State's probably going to be in the top five. The closest comparisons I've got are you have to go overseas for it because the NFL enforces parity. Um, English Premier League and F1, both very similar to college football in the sense that I'm pretty sure I know who's going to be number one. The drama just comes in everything else surrounding the sport. Yeah, and that same kind of city and community vibe uh, with each of the different teams. And just going back to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning there, I, I was told everything in the sport was going to change with a multitude of different things. When Texas and Oklahoma said they were going to the SEC, that was going to ruin college football. Uh, when the NIL deals started coming in, that was it for college football. I know a couple years ago, Dabo kind of beat everybody to the punch and said when this happened, he was just going to go ahead and go pro. Uh, but there's been three or four times just in this calendar year that I've been told college football is going away, and it just seems like as soon as we're watching the Iron Bowl, we're just watching the Iron Bowl again. 
Yeah, I'm always wary of somebody saying, I'm wary of anyone who comes into the room and says, this is going to ruin everything. <laughs> because usually that person has a vested interest in the status quo, and that's why they're saying it. So when they say everything, they usually mean my thing, my stuff. Um, I think that it's made things harder for coaches, uh, and that's fine because they get paid a lot of money. They get paid big boy money to deal with big boy problems, and I think they can deal with those big boy problems accordingly. That's why we pay you that much money, right? Um, additionally, I think that if you're looking at um, if you're looking at you know things that will ruin college football, I don't know. The, the sports pretty much had like the worst the worst approach and the most uh, self interested like top-down government governance for like the better part of a century and it still hasn't ruined it. You know, I think most of the people who have been in charge of the sport have had the worst instincts and it still survives. So it's really durable despite terrible leadership across the board. Spencer, usually when we bring people on here, I, I like to give them a chance to promote whatever they do. Obviously, uh, we've had Alex Kirshner on before to talk about The Sinful Seven, uh, which is a book that you helped co-author, kind of a college football-inspired Western fantasy uh, but the shutdown forecast, uh, obviously anybody who loves college football has at least peripherally heard of it, but if you could try to explain what that is to people, because I think, like, okay, college football guest, SEC Network, it's just a college football podcast, but more so than that, like, could you ever imagine it would become what it has become? No, no, not at all. And um, I, I think that's probably because I have uh, no idea what the show is after the better part of eight <laughs> or nine years doing it, but... It's our podcast. It is ostensibly about college football. I advertise it as the only college football podcast. That's right. That means that, of course, we generally discuss everything. You know, we, there's probably 10 minutes of college football talk, maybe 15 minutes of college football talk. Um, and I think you'd go, oh, well, this is the typical podcast where you, you're like, oh, well, we'll discuss pop culture instead. No, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. A lot of the times we just discuss dumb things that we have done or readers have done. Um, that's that's a very common thing to do is just to say, hi, tell us about a time when you had a disaster at a wedding. And 90 minutes later, we have no idea what's happened. But we've learned a lot about our readers and ourselves, so uh, our listeners and ourselves. So um, it's extremely fun. We do a lot of football-focused stuff in the, in the on-season when we are in-season. Yeah. We do a lot of whatever we want in the off-season, and people seem to enjoy it. I don't know, man. I was listening during season. It's the only podcast I've ever heard where it discussed uh, beating up your dad to become the head coach at Iowa and Antioch, the birthday spider, uh, in the same show. Yeah, I mean, that's really, I will say this. Either you get us or you don't, and if you do, I think you'll stick around for a while. There you go, Spencer Hall, kind enough to take some time. But tell us about uh, what you guys going, have going on with Thinking Out Loud, because I know, I think that's somebody at ESPN and the SEC Network saying this guy gets it, and he has, like we said, like a kind of sticky fan base with the shutdown full cast, and they were kind of missing out on some people. Talk about what your guys' objectives and goals are with that time slot on Monday nights. I mean, our, our goal in doing the show is to get through it without, um, without getting lost in the rundown. That's goal one, is to get through it and not have to look up at the camera and go, I have no idea where I am, Brams. Brams is our <laughs> producer. So that's goal one. Goal two, though, is to set the debate. I, I think we like to set the terms of engagement for the coming week. It's fun to go, hey, here's what I think happened, and here's what I think we're going to be talking about. And the bad part, we do, you know, we do um, a recap show on Monday nights. That the challenge is keeping it fresh. The fun part is that challenge is saying, okay, well, 
how do we take these things that happen and actually sort of both have fun with them and also say, well, here's what you may have missed. You know, um, how do we make um, a game that was not quite as competitive interesting based on, okay, well, you know, this may have been a blowout, but here's some things that are important in that blowout. So that's really our goal is to kind of come up with the things on Monday that everybody's going to be using to talk about football on Thursday. Spencer Hall, host of Thinking Out Loud on the SEC Network. You can catch it Mondays at 7 p.m. Spencer, before we let you get out of here, man, uh, this is kind of the question we're going to be talking about all afternoon because we're located in South Georgia, so we're closer to uh, Jacksonville than we are to Atlanta, but obviously we're in or Georgia, so we talk about the Falcons. More tortured fan base in your mind, Jaguars or Falcons? Falcons. Doesn't compare. Perfect. And that's just, that's just a matter of time. There are so many more instances of failure, shame, Ability and stupidity in the Falcons' history than you have in the Jags. And that's just a matter of calendar time. I think if you said, okay, all things being equal, what kind of pain do we have? And I could just point to you and go, you know, I know the Jags, you know, have had their moments, but they never had 28 3. And they never had their quarterback say, as Bomani once said on, uh, on the Levitard show, uh, say, you know, I got some spare time. Why don't I go fight some dogs? That hasn't happened to you, Jacksonville. I'm not going to say it's not real bad, but it's a different kind of bad when you're a Falcons fan. Spencer, I appreciate it, man. Got to have you on again. Thank you for taking the time. All right, thanks. Again, Spencer Hall, host of Thinking Out Loud on the SEC Network, also host of the Shutdown Fullcast and Fullcast After Dark. We got more to come here on Second Down. We'll be back after this. Second Down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Big thank you to Spencer Hall for joining us there in the last segment. We'll catch up with Graham Coffee coming up here in a little bit to break down Georgia's 2022 recruiting class. Uh, it looks like Texas A&M is going to walk away with that one. But I thought Graham Coffee, before we bring him on, made an interesting point. Uh, when you look at the top 15 recruits out of the state of Florida, and remember Florida has, just looking in, FBS football, right? You have UCF, Florida, Florida State, Miami, FIU, FAU, USF. I'm probably forgetting some other schools in there as well. All of those schools, right? Florida may be the most talent-rich state in the entire country. Can you guess which school in America pulled the most top 15 recruits out of the state of Florida this past recruiting cycle? Or this current one, I should say. Top 15 recruits? Yep. Georgia. That would be correct. Okay. Uh, okay. And so there's a reason why you're, you've seen new head coaches at all of these institutions in the last few years. And I, I, Kirby Smart said it. You can't out-coach good recruiting. Mm-hmm. Like Kirby Smart might not be, and I'll say Kirby Smart's not the best college football coach when it just comes to coaching the sport of football, scheming you up. Dan Mullen is a better offensive coordinator than most coaches in America. He's unemployed right now. Well, maybe he's employed by ESPN. I don't know what's going on there. But he, he is not currently coaching college football. Mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating about the sport we cover so closely is as much as we want to talk about schemes and as much as we want to talk about coordinators and designs uh, and who fits into this system better and transfers, 90% of it comes down to recruiting. We just had Spencer Hall on in the last segment. He said usually the wrong story gets remembered about teams and not calling Stetson Bennett wrong, but he was not – the reason why Georgia won a national championship. Georgia won a national championship because they stacked 
five-star on top of five-star on top of five-star on defense, and they mauled you to death until you just quit, right? The sport we cover has to do with so much more with what we don't see mm-hmm. with Kirby Smart flying in helicopters and the conversations with these coaches and with these players and now with NIL deals, conversations that probably shouldn't be happening but probably are happening. It has so much to do with what we don't see versus what we do see. In the NFL, we can talk about uh, preseason. We can talk about trades. We can talk about the NFL draft. We can talk about GMs and coaches and schemes and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy just completely changed the game and Bill Belichick being a defensive genius. College football is as simple as, I have a 6'5", 270-pound guy who I got, you didn't. He's better than your guy. We're going to win. Yeah. Yeah, and you... No, it's it's hard to, right? I mean, you have to have the bodies and you have to have the skill level out there. And if you're completely outskilled and outsized, it's very hard to to get the W unless they're they're just completely... Every single one of those players is completely off that day. Um, Still... feel like you still got to put them in, in, in the best position, the best chance to win. Uh, you got to be able to at yeah, least I think it's relative. Like, I, think, I, think if we had, I think if we had a bunch of four and five stars, we're probably not winning the SEC. Right, right, exactly. So you, you got to be able to do that. But no, I mean, it's hard to argue against that. Like you, you, you have to have the bodies. That's why you see every single year the same. It's like you watch the recruiting rankings, and unless there is a big um, problem or – issue in the coaching staff or, or something like that, most of the time the recruiting rankings are going to show up in that, you know, those those final rankings, those right. final weeks down the stretch. And that's just how it is. That's why every single year you watch the recruiting rankings and you're like, oh, Georgia's up there. Oh, Alabama's up there. Oh, Ohio State's up there. And then we're wondering why they're, we're not really wondering, but we're wondering why they're the ones winning games and always in the conversation for the playoff. That's exactly why. You got to have the guys. Now, notice, Ken, I didn't say like signing five stars is the reason why you win. I said recruiting in general, like talent identification. Like Jordan Davis was a three star, mm-hmm. and he was a massive part of this defense for Georgia last year. Uh, Jamar Chase, who might be a top five receiver in the NFL right now, was a two star coming out. And he told the story, I think yesterday, that Les Miles said he couldn't play wide receiver when he was yep. coming out of high school <laughs> and he wasn't going to recruit him as a wide receiver. So it's. It's more of talent identification and then just getting them on campus now. And now it's become keeping them on campus and keeping them from transferring out because there's been so many stories, i.e. a Jamar Chase, would he even be at LSU for the sophomore year if the transfer portal was there? So now you're having to self-recruit now to keep guys on campus. But I just find it fascinating because I can't think of another sport that's like that where so much of the sport just has to do with what you do prior to your season starting. And obviously you recruit in season, but what I'm, and I'm not trying to do a Dan Mullen where we'll recruit when we get to recruiting season, but so much of your success on the field has to do with just accumulating talent. Football is like the only sport where it's kind of like what you said, strategic about accumulating your talent, like going into the offseason. I wouldn't say football. I say college football in general. Well, yeah, college football definitely because yeah. NFL – like you said, you already got your team. You know, majority of your team, you draft maybe six to seven players. You keep four or five of those guys. The other two or three go yeah, on just the practice squad. Deals, yeah. yeah. And but college football, you have to. It's a cycle every year. Every year, you might get a fresh crop of twenty or thirty guys or fifteen guys. And I mean, I need an O line this year, or I need a quarterback this year. Like if you're Alabama, oh, you're even, looking it's for wide. This year, it's you're looking at your thing and you say, okay, I have, I have 
five junior offensive linemen, mm-hmm. or, I, or I have five offensive linemen who are about to be juniors. Okay, I need to go out there and I need to sign at least five in this yeah. recruiting cycle, or I need to get a transfer in. And then you're having the tough conversations with people saying, because I only have so many scholarship spots, you have to move on. I mean, I just... Like I, if you're Bama right now, yeah. you're like, Bryce Young's gone after this year. I got to go get me a new But Bama's now. success yeah. this year hinged on the fact that they convinced a kid from California to come to Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to sit behind another guy who's a NFL quarterback, a playoff right. quarterback for a year just to not necessarily learn, just you got to sit behind him for a year. This guy plays in the NFL. Now you got to bring in another freshman. You got to sit behind this guy for a year because he's going to the NFL. Then it's your turn, and it's just an endless cycle. I mean, that's that's kind of the beauty of college football, though. It is truly unique, and I think – one, it's the largest amateur sport in the world. True. I don't think yeah. there's another right. one that's close. And people from other countries like have no idea what we're talking about. We're like, yeah, we love college sports. They're like, you guys watch like university sports? Yeah. Like, yeah, we, we, we love that. But when you, when you look at it, I, I legitimately think college football has become a top at least four sport in America. The only ones I would have that could really hold a candle to it right now are the NBA and Major League Baseball. But when you talk about the number of people watching I think college, college football, yeah, I think it's bigger. I, I think it might be. Yeah. And obviously we get the talking heads and like the the, lo- the national media. They're going to talk about the NBA and they're going to talk about Major League Baseball just because of the teams in New York and Los Angeles and Dallas and stuff like that. But overarchingly across America, I think college football has, is just behind the NFL right now. I think I think it's what you say is because college football is the only sport where the regular season like matters. Like NBA, you could lose 35, 30 games. You go to the playoffs, could win the championship. NFL, we've seen it with the uh, Giants a few years back when they beat the Patriots. They were nine and seven in the regular season. You go, you lose seven games in college football, you're not making the bowl game. Right. <laughs> so you're looking for a new head coach. Yeah, yeah, you're looking for a new head coach. You're firing somebody, all that. But college football. You lose one game, that might be your season. Look at Texas A&M um, during the COVID season. They lost to the defending champs, Alabama. They were done. So I think college football is far in the head of a lot of sports right now. It's NBA, MLB. What yeah. is there a sport that has a – I think the NBA might be the only one that can really compare. Is there a sport that has more focus on it, like on the acquisition of talent than college football does? Because, I mean, people follow recruiting religiously. They, like, know where these 16-year-olds go to school, who they talk to, who the who the coach is that's recruiting them, right? They're like, oh, I got the big dog recruiting this guy. Yeah. Kind of the deal, right? It, it just it goes down to minutia. They're watching their high school tape. Like, just people who have no say in it whatsoever are watching their high school tape because two years from now they could see that guy suiting up for their favorite team. I think the NBA, just because it has become a soap opera in terms of talent switching teams, mm-hmm. I think is the only one where you can say there's a that much focus just on the acquisition of talent, but I, like college football is different when it comes to that. Is there any other sport? No, maybe, maybe international soccer, PJ. Maybe something like that because you you have the loans and things like that. But it, even even then, oh, we just saw I think that start really blowing up like over the past what ten years. I think we have you know, where people actually started paying attention to but, it. Yeah. Well, you, you have people paying attention to it, but you also have like Ronaldo moving places. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have. Um, uh, Neymar moving a bunch of places and things like that, and a, a lot of the, so the times, first one I remember, like as a kid, was Beckham going from Man U to Real Madrid. Right. right. And, well, that's the thing, right? Real Madrid kept acquiring people, and a lot of the time, those those guys would would stay with those organizations for a long time, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, it's like that move happened, 
and bam, and then Ronaldo left, and then it was Neymar swapping a different uh, a bunch of different places. I mean, um, Messi isn't with Barcelona anymore, is he? Uh, it's, yeah. it's it's crazy. So, uh, which that's just synonymous. Uh, so, uh, I think that yeah, may, maybe a little bit, but I, I think the NBA and college football were were neck and neck with each other for a long time. When you talk about recruiting and all that, and now. I think college football has certainly surpassed it because you add in you. It's the way you said it: the acquisition of talent, right? Yeah. It's that was primarily recruiting and maybe some transfers every now and then. And oh, by the way, you're going to have to sit out a year, all that good stuff. But now it's like you have recruiting and free agency. Where as the NBA, you really have free agency and the NBA draft. Let's be honest: the first five or ten picks, especially over the past five years or so, is kind of where it ends. And I'm not saying no one can come out of the second round and, and be a big star, but I think it's becoming more rare. For sure. Uh, so, yeah, I think college football has certainly surpassed the NBA and really every other sport with that, that kind of interest in the acquisition of talent because of these new uh, these new kind of free agency yeah. type things we can have with transfers. Speaking of the acquisition of talent, we're going to catch up with Graham Coffee next to break down Georgia's 2022 class. Looks like the dogs are going to come in third uh, but we'll just we'll break down the class, see what positions they helped out here and what positions Georgia still needs to address next right here on ESPN. Second Down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source, two different locations in Savannah to take care of all of your uniform needs. National Signing Day right around the corner, though most of the, uh, the big-time Power 5 and FBS schools have pretty much wrapped up uh, their classes for 2022, but still a couple of players out there uh, that could really change the narrative around some teams' classes. Joining us to discuss Georgia's 2022 commits, Graham Coffey from Dog Sports joining us here. Graham, thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Of course, and just looking back, I know 247 just updated their rankings for the final time after a lot of these guys uh, got to play in the All-Star games and go out to some of these camps. And we see uh, one guy in particular, Malachi Starks, uh, from Jefferson. If you are a Savannah sports fan, you saw him couple years ago, lead Jefferson to a win over BC in the semifinals there. He seems like the kind of freaky talent that Alabama would typically get back there in the secondary, right? Like a Mika Fitzpatrick, somebody like that. And now Kirby Smart has him in Athens. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, people that I talk to, uh, they have stopped being able to come up with adjectives to describe just how freaky Starks is. I mean, He's a guy that is a five-star safety, potentially could play linebacker as well, but also I've been told uh, at his natural position or running back, he would be a top 100 overall recruit as well. So that kind of gives you an idea, like, just the type of athlete he is, how explosive he can be with the ball in his hands. Um, Also a guy from Georgia who committed early, in-state kid who, you know, really – as leaders of this class and worked really hard to recruit other guys to come and join them in Athens. So probably one of the, if not the most important signee in this class for Georgia, just because of how he sort of helped the chips fall behind him in this class. Now, I, what position group would you say is the strongest? Because I'm sitting here looking and you have a bunch of guys in the secondary. We just talked about Malachi Starks and Dalen Everett. Uh, who's coming in from IMG Academy. Uh, the defensive line looks like it could be one of the best classes we've seen Kirby Smart sign. What position group do you think is the deepest and the best in this class? I think it, it 
it's a tie between DL and and secondary. I would give the nod to the secondary, uh, even though Georgia ended up not signing Curry Wilson and he ended up at Florida. You look at Dalen Everett, five star defensive back, maybe the number one defensive back in this class, depending on who you talk to. And then Julian Humphrey, a guy out of Texas who was a high four-star for a lot of his recruitment and then went to these all-star games and just performed off the charts well and got bumped up and got a fifth star earlier this week. But he's a guy that's long enough to play corner but could also be at safety if Georgia needs him there. And then you look at – Oh my gosh, uh, the guy out of Florida, five star, number one, de- uh, the number one defensive back, or maybe not number one. In the oh, Dalen Florida, Everett, but uh, Jaheim Singletary, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the top five DBs in this class as well. So, I mean, you're looking at three five star type talents in the secondary, and then you put Starks over there, who I don't think anyone's 100 percent sure where we're going to see him play yet. Two defensive backs and two safeties out of the same class that that could be your starting, you know, boundary corners and free safety and strong safety within a couple of years. And sticking on defense here, I know there's a couple of guys that have a lot of riders. Uh, I know you have talked about these guys. Brooks Austin, our buddy over at SI, has talked about these guys. Marvin Jones Jr. uh, coming from the edge there. But just the rest of the guys that you're going to have coming off the edge uh, inside of this class, have we seen Georgia recruit outside linebackers like this? Because that, to me, looks like Kirby Smart made a concerted effort in saying we need the guys that can get off the edge and create pressure by themselves. Yeah, for sure. If you look at this Georgia roster this year, uh, you know, you had Adam Anderson uh, before his troubles and the suspension and all that stuff. But, you know, you don't have a ton of guys. Like, Nolan Smith was the number one overall player in his class, but he's not built like that typical pass rusher, that six five lanky, you know, the the Leonard Floyd type of guy, the Jarvis Jones type of guy that has the long arms to kind of keep those uh, tackles from getting their hands on them. You have that. You've got some explosive, explosive guys off the edge. Carlton Madden is the guy who, you know, due to injuries and uh, moving, like didn't play a ton of high school football really until this year. There wasn't much tape on him, but I mean, he's, extremely explosive as an edge rusher. Uh, you've got Darius Smith, who is kind of another slept-on recruit, but is six six, built really kind of freaky. Um, can I, can I pause you on Darius real quick? Cause, job of, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, can I pause you on Darius real quick? Because I know uh, out of Appling County, uh, kind of down here in our neck of the woods, it, what was the reason for him not going ahead and signing? I'm not sure, honestly. Um, it could have been a a space issue on Georgia's side when you look at Georgia's class and, you know, they signed a, a lot of kids on signing day and, you know, normally you're only going to get 25 scholarships and with the COVID stuff yeah. going on, you still have some guys that Georgia was waiting to see who comes back, who leaves early, who hits the transfer portal. Now it looks like Georgia's sitting there with, you know, probably uh, eight to 10 scholarships to work with between uh, here in the, the final signing period and, and the transfer portal. So there's definitely room for Georgia to, to snatch some of those guys up now, but you took the risk if you're Georgia by not signing 
those guys immediately, uh, you know, someone else can come in and, and, and get into the equation. That, that looks to be what's, what's happened with, uh, with the running back James out of uh, Tennessee. I, I think that he's probably going to end up at Florida or Oregon instead of being the second back in Georgia's class. So it's, it's all kind of gets down to a numbers game here at the 11th hour with signing classes. For sure. And this past season, we didn't see a ton of true freshmen making impacts. There were a few guys. I mean, obviously, A.D. Mitchell, uh, what he was able to do, maybe the biggest catch uh, in Georgia football history. I mean, I guess you can have the argument with Lindsey Scott or him. But uh, looking at this class, who are a couple guys you think have immediate impacts? Uh, I think that you're going to see, I mean, one guy that I've talked about a lot, and it's not because Georgia's not well-stocked at the running back position, it's just because he's that good, is uh, Branson Robinson. Um, You know, number one running back in the class, like, built like a Nick Chubb. He's the closest thing to a Nick Chubb that I've seen coming out of high school since Nick Chubb. I think he's just going to be too good to keep off the field, and with the way that Georgia rotates running backs, I think he's... Uh, probably as close to a sure bet as you're going to find of somebody that you can count on seeing get some snaps in some, you know, significant situations, maybe third quarter, winding, winding t- kind of the clock down type situations. But uh, with him, you know, I, I think Starks is another one. Uh, losing Lewis Seen, losing the two inside linebackers and having a guy that is, you know, probably could play in either of those positions. I wouldn't be shocked at all to see him on the field early. And then uh, I actually would would maybe go with uh, Darius Smith, the guy that we were just talking about from, from your neck of the woods down there. Just I think that the way he's built is just unique, and Georgia doesn't yeah. have too many guys on the roster or any guys on the roster that are built quite like him. And I could see him being on the field in some third-down packages. Georgia did a lot of that with Adam Anderson when he was a freshman. Smith is a guy that will get into the weight program and benefit a lot from it, but just his natural athleticism is enough to say, uh, you know, go keep contained on the quarterback on third and long. So I think we'll see him on the field some early. Graham Coffee with DogSports.com hopping on with us here. A couple more questions for you. This one more theoretical than anything. Uh, you see different schools really attack different positions seemingly consistently, right? Alabama has put a ton of wide receivers uh, in the NFL draft the past few years. Georgia's coming off of having one of the best defenses in the last 50 years, and then they're just adding more and more with this class, kind of a, a reload here. But I'm looking at the wide receiver room right now, and Jermaine Burton, who's your leading receiver, transfers to Alabama. Uh, you lose a couple more guys to transfers, uh, and then you've lost some guys just uh, to eligibility at this point as well. I know you have Arian Smith coming back off of an injury and A.D. Mitchell, what he was able to do, but that looks like a relatively thin room just in terms of the talent when you're comparing it to the other schools you'll be competing against late in the season. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think though, when you look at what Georgia do, did on offense last season, um, a, I mean, your tight end room is the best in the country. So you don't lack targets there and you have a guy already in Brock Bowers that can play out wide can play in a slot. Same can be true of Darnell Washington if you can get good enough pass protection to let him flex out and you don't need him to to help hold off edge rushers from the opposing team. But then you bring in Oscar Delp in this class. He's another Bowers type of athlete that could be just too good to keep off the field immediately. So you have targets in the tight end room. But, yeah, when you go down the list of wide receivers, A.D. Mitchell I think is a proven commodity. He's only going to get better. 
So you know you have him on the outside. But, I mean, the reality is look at Jermaine Burton's snap counts throughout the year. I mean, like, he was sharing time at that Z receiver position with with Lad McConkey <laughs> in a lot of scenarios, you know. And, yeah. I, and I'm sure that that doesn't, like, fit too well with a guy who was a fringe five-star recruit and McConkey was kind of the last guy in the class and was sort of barely a three-star, depending on what service you looked at. But, like, look what McConkey did against Auburn in that game when, when Burton didn't play. Uh, you know, two double moves for touchdowns against their number two corner. If you're Georgia just looking from a schematic sort of scenario, it's like Mitchell's going to draw the number one DB, and if McConkey can go and beat the number two DB, then you're in a good situation. I also think Arian Smith, if he ever plays a full season healthy, uh, it's going to be ridiculous. Like he could be that guy that that goes and you know starts putting up some of those numbers that Georgia people see Alabama receivers put up and ask why why their guys aren't doing that. Um, and then I mean, yeah, I mean it's it's just looking at this offense and the way it actually functions. You see a lot of passes to the backs, guys like Kenny McIntosh. They're going to get targets in the passing game. Um, but I, I think that receiver room is is kind of sneaky good. Okay. Uh, Georgia's done a good job of you know identifying guys, but maybe there's not quite the star power there from a recruiting standpoint that you're used to seeing in other position groups at UGA. All right, final final question here for you. Uh, you lose Quay Walker into Kobe Dean, and I know there's some guys that have already played some snaps uh, in, in mop up time for Georgia that have a chance to be really good. But I keep seeing you guys talk about Jalen Walker. Uh, is, is he that different? He is, yeah. I mean, just body-wise, he already looks like a, a fourth-year NFL guy. Um, wow. I mean, when you see – just if you go online and Google his name and look up pictures of him at an all-star game standing with other five-star recruits, he looks like their dad. You know, I mean, like he just is already developed uh, in a way that you don't see from high school kids very often. But also just the maturity. Uh, he's a cerebral player. He's a guy that I think can come in and pick up the defensive scheme very, very well. Um, and then, I mean, you know, pairing him with a guy like Jermon Dumas Johnson, who really flashed in fourth quarter snaps this past season, and kind of the the word on him out of Athens, out of practice, is that he's already taken that leap. Um, I I think George, it's impossible to not have a drop off at that linebacker position with what you're losing, but I do think that Georgia is is going to be you know, more than fine with the athletes they have coming in. Graham Coffey from dogsports.com. Kind enough to take some time with us today. Graham, tell the people where they can find your stuff, man. Uh, yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at DogOutWest and uh, come and check out our uh, our film show on YouTube, Dog Sports Live. We uh, look at game tape and uh, break down kind of little game-within-the-game position battle type stuff. Uh so come find us there, and, uh, yeah, appreciate you guys checking it out. Grant, we appreciate the time, man. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Christian. We got more to come here on second down. Get you ready for three and out coming up next. All right, so going back to our point a couple segments ago before Graham Coffee came on, Cam and I have spent the entire break looking at pictures of high school recruits that have signed with Georgia now. Like, this is why college football is weird. Yeah. We are looking at no. Like, let's just say it out loud. These are like crazy. These are like highly like the way like search engines work. Like these are pictures that a lot of people have looked at. But just say it out loud, Cam. We're two grown men looking at tank top pictures of high schoolers. 
It is what it is. You know, weird. We, got, we got to see what we're bringing to Georgia. It's weird. Super it's, mutants, though. They're like mutants. They are. It's that, this kid is 37 years old. Yeah. It's yeah. odd. And, and there's there's any, like, you have any of them for any team. Like, I, I remember, I can remember recruits for Penn State that I remember watching their tape coming out, and I'm like, this kid's going to be big. And I remember some of them being pretty big. Mm-hmm. And you even remember the ones that are like, man, that. He transferred out like his second year, and and he's probably you know doing something great in the business world right now. But he did not pan out on the football field. But it's like it, you remember that because you're sitting there in you know June being like, this kid's gonna be good. He's gonna change our program. It's like man, he's sixteen. Maybe it's not just college football because like we every NFL fan does it with the combine. You watch guys running their underwear. Yeah, it's I mean, college, but college football is different, man. You could go. It's the only like service where you could go on two four seven and you're like, man, this kid is human. Yeah, that's fair. All right, real Bunch quick, Giants. Here. Yeah, real quick here. Let's let's get him ready for three and out. Uh, they'll catch up with coming up next. Actually, Chris Porter uh, from First Coast News talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars head coaching search. That seems like it's just all over the place right now. Also, catch up with Super Bowl champion Dexter Carter in the three o'clock hour and Charlie Campbell, one of the most accurate when it comes to the mock drafts in the business. A little bit later, uh, talking about the U.S. Uh, friendly coming up, or not friendly, World Cup qualifier, the opposite of a friendly. Catch up with Jason Longshore and Demetrius Harvey a little bit later as well to talk about the Jaguars. All that coming up on ESPN Radio. We'll talk to everyone tomorrow.